0: No long term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.
1: This podcast contains adult content and language. The stories in this show may be frightening and disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 5, Episode 11 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. My guests this week on the show are M. Scholz and Christine Schaefer of And That's Why We Drink. But more on that later. For now, enjoy the show. So here's my story. I haven't thought about it in years until I began listening to Let's Not Meet just a few weeks ago. Recalling some of the details now, I realize how fucked up it is. At the beginning of summer, I turned 18. My first ever boyfriend had broken up with me, and I was very melodramatically torn up about it. It was my first breakup. I should say that he broke up with me I didn't see it coming, and I was also very naive at the time. About a month after breaking up, I went to a meeting of the young adult group at my church. It was my first time going as I had just graduated from the high school group. There was a guy there who took interest in me. He seemed friendly and fun, and immediately after the talk was finished, he came right over to chat with me. My naivety and state of feeling rejected made me excited to have his attention. He was older as well, maybe late 20s, and would not have been my type usually. We exchanged numbers, and although we didn't make any concrete plans, I was very excited to be chatting with someone new. When I crossed the room to leave, someone in the group pulled me aside and said, "'Hey, be careful with this guy,' he chats it up with a lot of girls. I thanked her, feeling like a bit of the wind had been taken out of my sails and left. I didn't care about what she said. I just wanted to feel good about an older guy thinking I was intriguing, wanting to spend time with me. Since I had never dated before other than my previous boyfriend, I was thrilled at the prospect of dating now and thought, why not, while calling a friend on the way home to tell them about this new guy? He texted me that night, and I was again thrilled. He texted me a lot over the next few days. I'm not very good at replying, but I kept it up. I thought it was a lot of messaging, asking me about myself, and then again thought, I guess this is what dating is. My 18th birthday was just about a week later. And when he asked what I was up to, I said it was my birthday and mentioned some of my plans. He asked if he could come over. No, I said. Sorry, I'm busy today. He pressed and pressed that he should come over. He needed to wish me happy birthday in person. Something switched for me. I suddenly got very uncomfortable. Insisting to come over, and not taking no for an answer, especially when I already made it clear I was too busy, it it was just a bad sign for me. So I stopped replying that day. After my birthday, I received many messages from him, asking more and more about myself, but I replied less and less. I guess I just came around to the fact that I didn't really know him, and I didn't want to. And the only reason I was excited in the first place was because he gave me a lot of attention when I was feeling really low. The fact that he was older was starting to creep me out as well. I never went back to the young adult group because I didn't want to see him. I felt harassed by him at this point. But I thought, since I was moving across the country at the end of the summer to start university, I'd just text him saying that I was moving, sorry we can't hang out, and then never reply again. I should say as well, I'm Canadian, so across the country means a five-hour flight, a very long way. When I did send that message at the end of the summer, he replied, I know you're going to the name of my university to study English. I was pretty sure I had never told him that, which meant he was asking other people and the young adult group who knew me about me. I didn't reply. I flew across the country, and I was ready to start my adult life with a fresh start. The first couple of weeks went by, and I was sitting in the cafeteria when I got a text message from him trying to start a conversation here we go again, I thought. The message said, Hey, how are you? What are you up to? I'm in my university's town. I'll come pick you up. What? I texted back. How are you here? I moved here so that we could be together. He then said that he had transferred his job to a business in my university's town The business was run by someone from my church. So I knew that it was my university's town. It was legitimate and that he could have easily transferred. I felt panicky. I didn't know what to do. He kept messaging me over and over that he was going to come pick me up. My university is very small and during the day, Anyone can just drive in. It's also in a rural area, and there's a big forest surrounding it, so anyone could wait in the woods right behind each of the university buildings. I had no idea what to do, but I texted him back that I was too busy with school and I couldn't see him. He again barraged me with messages saying he was coming by right then to pick me up. Any people-pleasing tendencies of mine, they just went out the window and I told him I did not want to see him ever again and not to message me ever again. He flew into range and sent me a message saying, I moved across the country to be with you. You are meant to be my beloved. You will be my wife. That's God's plan and nothing you can do will change it. God will spite you, bitch, if you do not follow his plan." I was so fucking creeped out. Of course, logically, I knew this wasn't true, but it still made me feel very weird, him telling me God would spite me. And I was scared he was going to come and find me and force his, quote, plan to happen. Hands shaking, I blocked his number. Of course, the class I had to go to right then was a night class all the way on the other side of campus from my dorm in the basement of a building at the end of an empty parking lot. I ended up telling someone in my class about it and she walked me back to my dorm. She assured me, but I was very afraid he would just wander around the campus until he found me, whether it was that night or the next day. With needing to go to classes and the cafeteria, it wasn't an option to stay in my dorm until I felt safer. I told myself he was bluffing, that he hadn't actually moved across the country just to be with me. He was just messing with me in order to make myself feel better, I guess. That whole semester, I walked around campus looking over my shoulder. I never saw him, but the following summer, I was working at the church back in my hometown. I told someone from the young adult group what had happened with him, telling it almost as a joke, saying I didn't believe he actually moved there. She was wide-eyed. She told me he did. He told everyone at the young adult group. He transferred there. I was very freaked out. Apparently, he quit about a month into the job at my university town, and no one from my church had heard from him since. I wish that instead of telling me, be careful, he chats up a lot of women. The people in the young group would have just stopped him entirely from engaging with young women. It's very problematic. I don't know whether he did come to my university campus and look for me once, multiple times, or not at all, but this creeper older guy who followed me across the country pretending to force me to become his beloved? Let's not meet again. The story begins with a chance encounter at a random bar on a night with a man twice my age. We hit it off and though he was from several hundred miles away, We agreed to meet back up in the same town a few weekends later. He was handsome, wealthy, charming, and extremely persuasive despite my naturally suspicious disposition that I attribute to an intrigue with true crime. I had insisted that I was not interested in having sex. I knew that sex was probably an expectation once you flew across the country for a date, but I wasn't emotionally ready for that after recently leaving a long-term relationship. I was very upfront about this, but he insisted on coming anyway and agreed to purchase separate suites at a ritzy new hotel downtown, so I agreed to meet. The initial meeting was odd. I believe he was under the influence of some kind of upper. I'm not a total prude, but... He was bouncing around the lobby and addressing strangers way too loudly as we waited for a taxi to our date location. He told me that my room was being cleaned and wasn't available to check in yet. I doubted his story, but agreed to keep my bag in his room until we returned from the day that we had planned, against my better judgment. The day was a bit strained. My date was oddly hyper and was telling everyone in sight that we had met in a bar a weekend before but would probably get married soon. Upon returning to the hotel around 5 p.m., he claimed my room still wasn't ready but would be later. Again, against my better judgment, I showered with the door locked and got ready for dinner. Dinner was weird. I guess he was coming down from whatever upper he had done earlier that day. We went to an expensive restaurant, and he ordered every entree on the menu, but never touched anything. I feasted like Louis Sixteenth, while he made small talk, and he mentioned a few details about my hometown and family that I had never mentioned to him. After some questioning, he admitted that he paid a private investigation firm to complete a report on me and my family, as well as my exes, before he came to meet me. Although I was weirded out, he proceeded to order every dessert on the menu, all of which he still never touched. I'm confident our bill exceeded $1,200, and this guy never touched a morsel of our dinner or dessert. Believe it or not, here is where it gets weird. We left the restaurant and went back to the hotel. I found a seat at the bar and encouraged him to go back and check on my room. I somehow knew that my separate room just didn't exist. And I had stayed sober the entire day and night in case I needed to drive home. But alas, he showed up with my very own room key. After one drink that I babysat, we took the elevator to our floor and went our separate ways. Relieved, I texted my two best friends who knew about the date and had access to my location. I said that I was safe in the room. I dozed off with my phone in hand, but woke up shortly after to my date's voice saying, Who are you texting? You left me tonight to talk to someone else. I opened my eyes and tried to acclimate them to the pitch dark. I saw him looming above me to the right side of my bed nearest the door. I turned the lamp on at the nearest nightstand. We proceeded to have a bit of an argument. I told him that I didn't even know him and I was texting my friends who were worried about my safety. He proceeded to nearly cry, explaining to me how much he liked me, although we had just met, and how much I upset him that I left him to talk to other people. At this point, I feared for my safety, but tried to play it cool as I begged him just to leave my room. When he left... I flipped the safety lock on the hotel door and got back into bed. A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. It was him again. I angrily walked to the door and asked him what he wanted. He told me he had left his phone inside my room. He promised he would grab his phone and leave. I glanced around And I saw his phone on my nightstand, but to the left of the bed, the opposite of where I woke up with him standing. Chills ran over my body. His phone on the nightstand furthest side of the bed from the door meant that he had been in my room while I was asleep for longer than the time that he woke me up. How long? I had no idea. I returned his phone through the locked door and spent a sleepless night in my hotel room. Around 5 a.m., I showered and quickly got ready to make my escape before my date woke up. I took the elevator to the Starbucks in the lobby right at 6 a.m. and returned to my room. When I swung the door open, my date was standing in my room near my packed and zipped-up overnight bag. He said, you were going to leave without saying goodbye. I panicked. I quickly scrambled and said, "Uh, no, I I felt bad for the way that I talked to you last night. And I was bringing you coffee. As I handed him the macchiato I had just ordered for myself ten minutes ago. Lucky for me, I agreed to brunch at ten that morning to get him out of my room. But I actually left the hotel and drove back to my house in a nearby town and never spoke to him again. So, guy on an upper binge with separation issues, let's never meet again.
0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
2: 20 years ago, I was a carefree 17-year-old girl. One night all those years ago, I went over to a friend's house. My friend, let's call him Chad, had the cool house where his folks went to bed early and we all hung out, smoked pot, and drank. You would think we were stupid because Chad's dad was a cop, but he was the kind of dad-slash-cop that wouldn't really care because he'd rather you were doing that stuff around him, where we'd be safe. That night, I had dyed another one of my friend's hair, and the blue dye was all over my hands. Chad's dad said, come on upstairs, I got heavy-duty soap that'll get that off. I went without a second thought. None of my group of friends even noticed I'd left the room. He plopped a special soap in my palm and watched as the blue left my hands and went down the drain. When I was done, he asked to speak to me in his office. I followed him into the tiny room. The only light was emitting from the screen of his computer. I still remember his face, which normally was friendly and a bit dumb. At that moment, an ominous tinge of red, the shade of his screensaver. He was silent, thinking. I could hear bales of laughter and the blaring TV downstairs. My friends were so close, but I felt completely isolated. The silent room felt like a tomb. I sobered up immediately as my pulse started to race. He was sitting very close to the door and I felt like I couldn't leave. Finally, he drew in his thick country accent, I think you should go on a date with me. Um, no thank you, was all I could think of to say. Come on. Sorry, I can't. I have a boyfriend. I didn't and hoped he didn't know I was lying. After several different ways of trying to entice me into going on a date while his wife slept just down the hall, He finally laid all his cards down. Maybe if you don't go on a date with me, I'll tell your mom you've been smoking weed. Now, my mother finding that out would be quite frightening, but nothing in comparison with the fear raging within me as I watched the mask of goodness being removed from the sinister creature before me. He was resorting to blackmail. I'm willing to mow your yard, but that's really all. It would have sounded sarcastic and almost funny if I could have kept my voice from shaking. Come here, he demanded quietly his lips barely moved. I moved toward him a fraction of an inch. It was not close enough for his liking, and he asked me to come closer. No, closer still. Closer. Closer. Till I could count the large, oily pores on his nose. He was going to grab me. I felt it. My brain screamed at me to get the hell out of there, but my feet were anchored to the ground. I felt he would easily catch me before I could squeeze by him to the door. I thought I might pass out from the anxiety. He leaned forward, and I said, I would really like to leave. I'm scared. Something in his features shifted, and I could see the mask was back on. I was just kidding. You don't have to tell anyone, okay? His tone was kind and maybe a little worried. I told him I wouldn't and left the room, stumbling over myself, numb with fright. I immediately told Chad, and he was devastated and cried. He asked me not to tell anyone, and I said I wouldn't. I went home. I never went back there, and Chad and I never spoke about it again. But since that night, if I have to be alone with a man in his late 40s, I have to shake off the image of his red face. To the wolf in sheep's clothing, let's never meet.
1: I'm a 20-year-old woman living in India. But this incident took place around 10 years ago, when I was in 5th grade. As much as I'd like this to be some exaggerated, distant memory, it's not. Two of the individuals who were with me at the time are still my friends, and we remember the incident exactly the same. My school did not offer bus services because there were more than a thousand students, So instead, everyone paid for private vans that would pick up and drop students off belonging to the same location. These vans were parked outside and around the school's campus, and mine stood the farthest from the school entrance. There were four other fifth graders in the van, and our classes always ended about 30 minutes earlier than the middle school and high school students so we usually waited in the van by ourselves until everyone came. The locality is a safe one, but it only got busy when the high schoolers and middle schoolers were out. Until then, it was deserted. That day, the five of us were chatting about some random kid stuff. At the time, I think it was the meaning of sex. Out of nowhere, there was a man standing outside of the sliding window next to me, staring at me. He looked old. He was probably in his 60s, a thin, exhausted, probably drunk man standing right outside the window with his hands on it. Come with me, he whispered, staring at me. It was creepy, but it was also normal for men and boys to whistle and verbally harass girls in public places at the time, so I ignored, sure, that he'll leave after calling me again, twice or maybe thrice. I carried on with the conversation with my van mates, but the man refused to go away. Come, he kept muttering. At this point, we were starting to get uncomfortable, and all of our eyes were on him. She's not coming. Go away, one of the boys shouted from the other end of the van. The man did not budge. The worst we could imagine happening was being stabbed in the stomach. We didn't know what humans are capable of, physically or sexually. We didn't even know what sexually really meant. Come, he kept repeating, pointing at me, growing frustrated. The boy put himself between me and the window and shouted, leave again before pushing the window shut. The man didn't move, but being kids, we tried to laugh it off and continue with our conversation. The man suddenly starts moving away, and our fight-or-flight mode kicked in. The moment we realized he was going for the door, which was on the other side of the van. The van had three doors with windows, one for the driver, one for the passenger next to him, and one for the rest. We split and scrambled to different doors and began locking them all with the windows before he could get to them. The moment we were sure the doors were locked, we realized that the lock for the passenger door window had been broken for a couple of months. This essentially meant that he could open the window, unlock the door by putting his hand inside, and let himself in. By the time we all reached the door, the man was already pulling at it and trying to push the window open. The three of us tried to push the window to make sure it remained closed while the man tried to push it open. Throughout this episode, though, none of us screamed or cried because we were focused on sealing the van shut. Looking back, this was probably why no one on the road noticed something wrong. After seconds, which felt like minutes, the man started pacing back to his initial spot. This was our chance. He was on the side that did not have doors. This was our chance to run. We flung the door open and ran for our lives to the entrance of the school. The man was old and unstable, and we were gushing with adrenaline. We ran By the time we reached the school gate, the older students were walking out of it, and the area was starting to flood with teenagers and parents. We were in hysterics. We ran into our older siblings who were making their way towards the van. We were panting, panicking, and losing our shit as we explained what the fuck just happened. They laughed at how terrified we were and said that it probably was some old man just trying to say hi or he probably was our van's driver's friend and maybe we did not hear him right. They laughed and told us we had nothing to worry about but when we insisted that he seemed very off, they assured us they'll come to the van and talk to him or debunk the hysterics. We took them to the van but he wasn't there. Crowds of teenagers swarming but the man was not in sight see he probably came to pick up his grandchild or something and mistook one of you for them a friendly senior said the van driver seeing that the older kids were chill about it felt that we kids were probably exaggerating and laughed it off when we told him what had happened But being kids surrounded by friendly older kids who were already making jokes about it, we forgot about the panic and fear and started laughing with them. We went back to normal within no time. The incident clearly did not scar us. We'll still laugh about how terrifying it was. But looking back, it disturbs me that not a single adult took us seriously that day. The creepy man who tried to get into the van to do God knows what? Let's not fucking meet.
0: Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
3: This took place when I was about 17 years old, and I'm now 28. I grew up in a small, quiet town in British Columbia, Canada with my mom, dad, and older brother. I was dating a guy, we'll call him John. John and I started dating when I was in grade 9. He was a year older than me, he was handsome, strong, trained in MMA and seemed like the sexy, mysterious type. We had that kind of high school relationship where everything was intense and dramatic and the kind of love that you think is the only love you'll ever have. We dated for about two years. Things were amazing for a while. He had a lot of emotion and loved me intensely, and I always felt so special to be cherished like that. We would talk about marriage and kids, which is ridiculous for high schoolers to talk like that. I know that now. However, this fairy tale type of love faded, and towards the end of our relationship, he became possessive. I wasn't allowed to hang out with my friends without him. I wasn't allowed to go to a party without him. He would freak out if I talked to another guy, even if it was one of his friends. It all became too much for me. I screwed up and was unfaithful when I should have just broken up with him. I know that was cruel, but I was young and reckless. When I told him, he was understandably hurt and angry. We decided to end our relationship and date other people, which at the time we both agreed was the right thing to do as I had broken his trust and had lost the feelings I once had. John did not respond well to our breakup. At first, I felt really sorry for him. He would call me crying, begging me to take him back. And then when I'd say no, he would switch to name calling and telling me how I ruined his life. Next thing you know, he would be leaving notes in my locker and little gifts to win back my affection. I honestly didn't feel threatened. I just felt sad for what he was going through. Shortly after this, he started to push a little harder to get back into my life. And he started showing up at my house unannounced. One afternoon, I was returning home after hanging out with a friend, and they were dropping me off. I saw John's car in my driveway and told my friend to drive past my house and drop me off because I didn't want my ex to see who I was with. Since this friend was a guy, I thought John would probably make a scene. Anyway, I walk into the house. My room was the first room down the hall from our front door, and I could see on my bed was a bag of candy and my favorite chips, a little gift from him. I rolled my eyes at the gesture and walked into my room, but John wasn't there. I walked into the kitchen, and he was sitting at the table with my mom. I asked him what was he doing there. I told him it wasn't okay to show up at my house like that, and my mom looked concerned since I was clearly upset and I didn't share with her everything that had happened. Just then he fell to the floor and cried at my feet. No word of a lie, he clung to my feet and sobbed. I tried my best to console him, and my mom tried to help him calm down too, but he was hysterical and inconsolable. We stayed like this for quite a while, I just couldn't get him to calm down and let me go. I asked my mom to call his parents and to have them come get him or try to convince him to leave. His dad came and finally convinced him to go home with him. I felt sick, sick with sadness for him because he was clearly really hurting, but also sick with concern that this might not be the last time something like this happens. John left me alone for a while and I thought he'd moved on. It was summer break so I was working at a Chinese restaurant in town to make a little summer spending money And one night, I closed the restaurant and headed home. My parents were out camping and wouldn't be back for a couple days, and my brother wasn't home either. I was so tired and ready to just lay in bed and watch a movie. As I pulled into my driveway, my heart sank. John's car was there. I took a minute to calm myself down, telling myself he just probably is having another hard night and I could just call his parents if I had to. I told myself he would never hurt me as he still loved me. I walked in the front door. All the lights were off. I thought to myself that this was strange, but just continued into the kitchen. I flicked the light on, and there he was, sitting at my dining room table, in the dark, alone. I jumped a bit when I saw him and said something along the lines of, what the fuck are you doing here? I was instantly mad seeing him there in the dark, clearly trying to scare me. All he said was sit down. I told him to get the fuck out and stop doing this to me. I told him I was sorry I hurt him, but I was done with his games and he needed to move on. He slammed his fists on the table and screamed for me to sit down now. Startled, I do what he says and sit down. Tears now streaming down my face and I'm now frightened by him. At that moment, I wasn't sure if he would hurt me. When he sees me crying, his demeanor changes and I can see that he's smiling and he starts actually laughing. I cry harder because I'm just so shocked by his reaction and I'm terrified now. Just then his face goes serious again and he says, why don't you love me? I'm so scared by the way he's acting, I can barely find words. Through tears, I say, "'Please just stop.'" He slams his fists on the table again, making a loud bang, and I scream. He repeats the question, this time yelling, "'Why don't you love me?' I'm crying, still in shock. He stands up fast and kicks the chair back. My fight or flight kicks in, and I get up and bolt for the door. I don't get into my car, instead I just run down the road." I run as fast as I can, but I hear his car coming behind me, his heavy metal music blaring. I panic and jump into the trees and run along my street. I see him pass, so I come out of hiding and keep running. I ran to my friend's house where I burst in hysterical, and I told her what happened. She comforts me and asks if I want her to call the police. I say no, but she calls her boyfriend to come over just in case he comes by. Sure enough, I hear his car outside. He just starts driving slowly back and forth in front of my friend's house like a fucking creep. He does this a few times, blasting his stupid music until eventually he just stops and we don't see him anymore. I stay there for a while, and once I'm confident that I'm safe, my friend drives me home. I lock all the doors and windows. Exhausted and frightened, I climb into bed, and I eventually fall asleep. Thankfully, he doesn't come back to my house that night. Things go back to normal for a few weeks, and I think the worst is over. He stops calling and showing up. Maybe he finally got the message, but I was wrong. I got a call one day, it's him. He's frantic and crying, telling me he wants to die and he's gonna kill himself unless I need to talk. I stupidly agree and I drove to where he wanted to meet up. I get out and climb into his truck and he asks if we could just go for a drive and I agree. He starts driving and we talk. He says the same stuff about how he loves me and wants me back and I tell him I'm sorry but I just don't feel that way anymore. He's visibly upset as he pulls onto the highway outside of town. He starts to speed up, and I'm starting to get nervous. Just then, he slams on the gas, and he's flooring it. I yell for him to slow down, but he won't. I remember hitting his arm, screaming for him to slow the fuck down, but he won't. Just then, he reaches into the center console and pulls out a knife. I freeze, and I watch in horror as he puts the knife to his neck, all while still keeping his foot pressed down firmly on the gas. I'm hysterical and tears and begging him to stop. I tell him I love him and I'll be with him if he'll just stop. Finally, he listens, he slows down, he pulls over and drops the knife. I pick it up and throw it out the window. After some convincing and reassuring him that I will stay with him, he drives me back to my car. I tell him everything's fine and I'll meet him at my house. He asks if I forgive him. I tell him yes and I just say I want to go home and I'll meet him there. I get into my car and just break down. I'm terrified. How could someone who says they love me do something like this? I gathered myself and decided to call his parents for help. I explain everything to them and tell them he needs help, he needs to leave me alone, and this needs to stop. They tell me they're on their way to pick him up. I return to my house and I pull into my driveway and to my relief he's not there. I walk in and break down to my mom and just cry in her lap, terrified at what could have happened and thankful everything was okay. Since John was a year older than me, he graduated, and I went back to school and went on with my life and didn't speak to him again. As far as I know, he got the help he needed, and I never heard from him. So John, I hope you did get the help you need, but please, let's never meet again.
1: 15 years ago. It was 2005, and I was starting my senior year of high school. Along with school, I worked part-time for my parents who owned numerous rental properties. In September, my parents went on a trip and left me home because of school and work and to make sure that nothing went wrong with any of the rentals. I was 17. As a teenager with the house to myself, I decided that one night, I would skip school the following day and have a friend over to hang out and watch movies. It was late at night, and my friend was supposed to be there when he got off of work around 11.30. I was sitting around watching TV, and at about 11, there was a knock at the door. Thinking maybe my friend had got off work early, I went to the door to answer. As I opened it, I realized that the man that was there was not my friend, nor one of the tenants. It was a rural Missouri town of less than 2,000, so I half suspected it was some lost local who had been mething around. I asked him if he needed something, and he replied, Do you sell dogs? Yeah. No, I I don't sell dogs, dude. I told him so, and as I did, he tried to push the door. I was blocking it with my foot and felt very uneasy. Since we were in the sticks, my parents kept the shotgun near the door, and my eyes drifted to it, thinking... God, I hope I don't have to use that. I noticed that he pulled something out of the pocket of the hoodie he was wearing. He was trying to conceal a knife and made another attempt at pushing the door. Keeping my foot against the door, I reached for the shotgun. He managed to push my foot and the door, and as he did, he heard me cock the gun. The second he heard it, he took off running. I was scared and had no intention of shooting him, but as he fled, I fired a warning shot. He managed to graze one of the columns that held up the roof of our porch. I was slightly unnerved, but figured it was someone high on meth and not thinking right. He looked vaguely familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. I called my friend and told him what had happened and asked him for his help in the morning. I handled the situation well, but I was also a dumb teenager and all I could think of was, my parents are never going to leave me alone if they find out about this. In the morning, my friend and I surveyed the damage that the slug had done to the column. It had messed it up pretty bad, having cracked it and there was a chunk missing. My friend was artsy and had an idea to see if we could use some plaster and sandpaper to repair it. We needed to go to get supplies, so we went to my car and got in. As we got in, I noticed that my car had been completely ransacked. Some gift cards and a pack of cigarettes had been taken out of it. We went to the store to get the stuff that we needed to repair the column, And then painted both of them in the event that my parents noticed, I could just tell them it was a home improvement. The weekend after the incident, my parents were back home, and I was out of town for a school trip. I get a call from my mother telling me that two local people had been shot upon entering their home, and a vehicle had been stolen. The police had identified the suspect and were looking for him. He was captured later that weekend after killing a family in Texas. When I saw the mug shot, I realized this was the guy who had been on my front porch earlier that week. He looked familiar because he rode the same school bus that I did when we were younger. When I was 25 years old, about six years ago, I was living in an old apartment in my small college town. I had just moved home from New York City, where I had been for grad school. It felt nice to be back in my small little town with little worries. One night, I was grocery shopping at a nearby grocery store. The store was less than a mile from my apartment complex in a very nice part of town. It was very deserted at this time of night, though. When I was done shopping, I stopped by the red box outside of the store, and I was browsing the movies. I noticed someone come up behind me, but didn't pay much attention. I figured they were just waiting their turn to browse the selection themselves. I tried to hurry along, as I didn't want to keep them waiting. I had not laid eyes on this person yet. I could just feel their presence and hear them. Then the person walked up to the display of the movies they have located directly beside the kiosk. I can now see this man. When I noticed how he was standing, I began to feel uneasy. He was standing about two inches from the display. He was standing so close to the movie poster that his nose could have been touching it. Alarm bells immediately went off. I knew he was standing way too close to see or read anything. A normal person would stand about six feet away to see the movie titles. Still, I put it out of my mind and hurried along. He wasn't bothering me anyway. I made my selection, got my buggy, and started towards my car. When I was walking to my car, maybe 25 feet away, I felt the presence again, as if he were behind me. I had to be wrong because I left him to make his own movie selection, right? I glanced quickly over my shoulder to see the man had walked towards me and was now stopped at a newspaper stand about six feet away from the red box and about 15 feet away from me. I was very confused as to what he was doing at this point. Maybe he was just acting weird. I hastily put my groceries in the car and jumped in. As soon as I was in the car, I saw the man hurry to the passenger side of a small gray pickup that was parked behind me in the next aisle. There weren't many cars in the parking lot, and I had not noticed the gray truck had been running this entire time. However, the truck was drawing attention to itself because it had the loudest muffler I had ever heard. Now it was hard not to notice it. Again... Thinking I was completely overthinking this entire situation, I put the car in drive to make my very short trip home. I pulled out of the space and started across the parking lot. Looking in the rearview mirror, though, I saw the gray truck pull out from their respective parking space, going in the same direction as me. I felt my heart race, just a little at this point. But still, I was thinking maybe it was my imagination. It was just getting the better of me. Besides, I lived in the biggest city in the U.S. and never felt like I was in danger. There is no way that I would be in danger in a town where you know everyone. I had lost sight of him after I had passed through a stop sign and figured the truck had pulled off in another direction. Just like I thought, nothing to worry about. I pulled into my apartment complex, which was in the same area as the new shopping complex. The parking lots were big, with lots of light and plenty of businesses around. It was a popular spot, and usually quite crowded. However, it was late, and there weren't many places open. Nonetheless, I felt safe there. I parked, and was just a few short steps away from entering my complex, with nothing to fear. I stepped out of the car, and started collecting my groceries when I heard it. That sound the loudest muffler I've ever heard. I turned to look at the entrance of the parking lot to see the most unnerving sight, that gray truck. I audibly gasped and watched them drive closer. I was completely frozen with a stationary gaze fixated on the truck as the muffler grew louder. I watched as they came to a stop about 20 feet away from me. They made a hard right and exited the parking lot as quickly as they came. I hurried to my apartment and tried to calm down. Did they see me? Did they just want to know where I was going or where I lived so they could come back later? There were many apartments in the building. How could they find me? I called my brother, who was a police officer. He told me if I heard the muffler from my parents to immediately call the police, but I never heard the muffler or saw the truck again. These questions have plagued me though. What was their plan? Was it completely coincidental or did they have malicious motives? How many people were in the truck? Either way, I'm glad they decided to make that last turn out of there for whatever reason they did. My brother inevitably told my father what had happened. My dad talked to the manager of the grocery store. They both knew each other and informed him of what had happened. The manager let my dad come in to review the CCTV footage from that night. The manager and my father both agreed from watching the footage, it was clear that the man was following me. However, it was not clear enough or close enough to retrieve any identifiable markers. So guy or guys in the loud gray truck, let's not meet. Thanks to M and Christine from And That's Why We Drink for coming on the show this week. I really appreciate it. Uh, And That's Why We Drink. It's a paranormal true crime podcast. It's one of my favorite shows. Please check it out. If you're a fan of Let's Not Meet, I know you're going to love it. They are fantastic people, and uh, I really appreciate them wanting to come on the show and read a couple of stories. They also recently came out with the 200th episode special edition comic book celebrating their podcast. Check it out on their store over at and that's why we drink and listen to their show anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This week you have heard God will spite you, bitch, by listener Charlotte. Date from hell. Break and enter by listener Savannah. About a creepy cop by Julie Awe. A story from listener, and I'm absolutely certain I'm butchering your name. I'll do my very best. Shreethiga. Ex-boyfriend from hell by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. Encounter with a spree killer by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. And finally, The Gray Truck by Mama Craft. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you want to hear your story on the show, send it to stories at gmail.com. And if we want to get access to all of the bonus episodes every single week, there's a brand new one every week. Head over to patreon.com forward slash podcast. You're going to get exclusive merch and other bonuses as well. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe.